The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the Diesel Performance Podcast, Episode 2. I'm Paul Wilson. And this is Scott Henricks. So, Paul, what is in your driveway? Real funny joke there, Scott. Um, I do drive a Ford, uh, although most of the guys I work with drive either a Duramax or a Cummins, or in your case, the the old Merc, the Mercedes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when I roll into work each day, there is a... There's a lot of shit I take. Yep. Just the way it is. Well, you can't help. I mean, but it is, I mean, it's a 7.3. It's bulletproof. It's bulletproof. That's it's my bulletproof. excuse, too. It's like, eh, I'm not driving a 6.0, guys. You yeah. know, it, it's okay. You, you, you can give me a pass. That's it. Nobody, I have never heard anyone talk ill of the 7.3. You, you know, and then I throw out there that it's a gear jammer, and mm-hmm. everybody shuts up. Yep. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe Owen let you have that one. That's crazy. In the world of diesel performance, though, there are definitely different camps and uh, groups of loyalty for the different, you know, Cummins, Duramax, Power Strokes, and those camps tend to beat each other up some with uh, like some kind of survival game. Uh, the argument revolves around appearances, dependability, definitely with the 7.3, uh, power. That's it, man. That's another one. I, I know for me, it's a, it's not just a pissing contest. It's not just, but but it mostly is. And and, and I like to know that I got the most power. Uh, now, I do prefer Duramaxes. Uh, I drive the 7.3, admittedly, uh, but as a form of this podcast, we're not going to take sides. We're going to give everybody an even shot mm. and let the listeners decide what's best for them. If they haven't already decided that, <laughs> most likely. Well, that's good. But yeah, that's definitely why these first three podcasts, we're going to just talk about the three major diesel brands. Uh, obviously, I, I, you know, maybe in the future we can work up something on the, uh, you know, the Mercedes yeah, right? I yeah. Talk about, if we could find somebody else besides you who likes them, I don't yeah. see why we wouldn't do that. My, my kids fit very comfortably in the back. <laughs> um, myself and the rest of the, uh, the I guess it would be like the 50 to, to 80-year-old crowds, we tend to really enjoy. Yeah. We enjoy driving. Yeah. If you are retired in Florida, Scott may have a secondhand car for you. That is true. Those are my people. <laughs> Those are my people. So, but um, yeah, definitely. But we're, but we're going to start with the fun stuff. So we, we actually, we started, we talked to Nick about Duramax. We got Tim today. Talk to him a little bit about Fords. Oh, yeah. Tim's hardcore about the Fords. Uh, Tim Slater of Centurion Fleet Services. He's here in Hampshire, Illinois. I've never met somebody who just has that drive like he does for Fords. Not even the Duramax guys or the Cummins guys. I mean, I've seen a lot of big C tattoos, and I've seen I love the D on a lot of girlfriend shirts. But uh, Tim, Tim embodies the Ford owner. I mean, there is not a problem with it that he doesn't believe can be fixed. Really excited to have you here. I've seen a few of the trucks that you've done work on, both Duramaxes and uh, some quite a few Fords uh, from my memory. And I just really wanted to kind of dive into them and kind of start at the beginning. So let, let's break down the, the Ford diesel history, which in my heart really starts with a 7.3 power stroke. I, I know they had some previous models, non-turbo and, and things like that. And I think that's probably before most of our listeners are, we're really getting into performance with those. I think if we were going to start with performance, we start with, with the seven, three, uh, the, the, the bulletproof Ford, as I would call it. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Tell us a little bit about some of the work you've done on them. Yeah, I would agree with that. The seven, three is by far the beginning of the era for the performance diesel on Ford's side. Um, anything before that is pretty much stone ages. Um, but yeah, the seven, three, it's, it's very reliable. It, uh, as far as, uh, towing performance and all around performance, I think there's a reason why they had it pretty much untouched for about 10 years. Uh, and if it weren't for the emissions side, they, they might've run with it even longer, but, uh, 
it, it, it would have been hard to keep up with some of the horsepower to cubic inch ratios that the competition was starting to come up with. Of course, the Chevys and, and, and the Dodges were starting to make power at that point, too. Sure. Yeah. Well, once they went to common rail system, it, it kind of changed the world. Fords are not common rail. Uh, well, the, all of our older Fords are not common rail. Uh, tell us a little bit about the injection system on them. What makes them different than some of their counterparts? Well, it's actually a neat system, and I like the system uh, mainly in the 7.3. It's the hydraulic over electric. We use a high-pressure oil pump to mechanically create pressure inside of the injector, and it's intensified by 7 to 1 inside the injector. So on the 7.3, uh, uh, stock oil pressures maxed out would be around 3,000 PSI, which gives you about 21,000 PSI of fuel injection pressure in the nozzle. It's a very reliable, robust system. Uh, it's used in the commercial market wildly. Uh, International has got it and uh, Caterpillar's got it. Um, and I'll tell you, of all the trucks we work on, those are the ones we service the least because they're just very reliable systems. They don't have one common uh, unit that can fail and is prone to failure that will take the truck down uh, like a, an injection pump, mechanical injection pump. They are, uh, you run them out of fuel or you get bad fuel in them, it's not unlikely that you're going to have one fail. Uh, same thing with a common rail pump. You can have a common rail pump fail pretty easily if you if you don't run good fuel or if you get water in it or if you just simply run them out of fuel. The 7.3's injection system is is pretty solid. A good injector on a on a pickup truck can go a quarter million miles before it needs to be replaced. Wow! And yeah, they're they're pretty. At that point, they're starting to smoke a little on startups, <laughs> and and their fuel mileage slowly dwindles. But they're reliable to that point. And the injection pumps are not known for failure. They go a long way as well. Sure. Okay. Um, if I'm going to get started building my 7.3, and, and for, for the listeners, you should know, I do actually drive a, a 95 7.3 myself. A uh, lot of fun, gear jammer, uh, big long boat, won't get out of its own way. And that's always been my problem with it is that without a tune on it, it just has no balls. It just it, it just has no balls. It is reliable as the day is long, man. It will start under any condition. It, I don't care how much white smoke it blows. It, it fires up every single time and and i i beat the living piss out of it and 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 it takes it and i love that about it but man just even shifting gears i can't pound them hard enough what do you do to to get something out of this truck well with the gear jammer and of course that's close to my heart because i have two of them uh i like being able to grab my own gears although i will say with the proper uh uh, trans tuning, uh, you can get a really nice shifting, especially the old body style 7.3s. Those are some of my favorite ones to tune with transmission tuning, a few you know, valve body modifications, and uh, they really grab gears very nicely. Um, but with a gear jammer, uh, you just can't move the gears fast enough. I mean, you're not making a <laughs> rocket ship out of it. My my 7.3, which is a gear jammer, well, for two reasons. It's lifted, and it's got a 37-inch tall tire on it. So you cannot launch the truck right. out, out of the hole. It just can't. But I uh, I will say, when you're pulling trailers, it's got excellent power for pulling trailers. Um, and uh, once you're in gear and you're moving... Uh, especially third gear and above, they it's pretty it's pretty decent for the size of the truck. Sure. What are what are we looking at if we're talking about making the five hundred horse? I, I mean, they're they're what they're two fifty, two eighty stock somewhere in that range, or yeah, depending on the year, uh, they varied from two fifteen in the old body style uh, up to I think two seventy or two seventy five was the top. Um, 
if you want to get 500 horse out of it, there's two things you got to do. You got to put a turbo and an injectors in it. You're not going to be able to make 500 horse without doing that, at least not reliably. Okay. Um, there are some ball bearing turbo upgrades for the stock Garrett that um, people say they can get 500 horse out of it. I don't know. I've never seen it. It's not something <laughs> I would do. You're pushing it pretty hard to do that. Okay. Um, there's a couple of things you got to be careful of, one of which is uh, connecting rods. After about middle of 2000, 2001, they switched from a forged connecting rod to a powdered metal connecting rod. Um, in the past, people were having a lot of problems blowing rods out of the powdered metal engines uh, above 400 horse. Now, a lot of that uh, has to do with people throwing a ton of timing at them, uh, sure. which you're, of course, familiar with. Um, <laughs> they... Uh, you keep the timing down and you keep the drive pressures down, you can probably get a powdered metal engine reliably to 400 and 450 horse without blowing it up. Uh, it depends on the revolutions, you know, the RPMs that you run as well. The higher RPMs, uh, powdered metal rods don't really like them. 7.3 is not much of a high revving engine anyway, so there's no reason to spin it above 3,000 RPM in my opinion. No, I You'd um, be crazy, too, to be honest with you. It's not making any power up there. No. We've seen the graphs on the dyno. It's it's a sled puller's dream to, to run at 4,000 RPM and make power because it sounds awesome. Yep. Um, but if you see where your truck makes peak torque and peak horsepower, you would never actually want to drive it up there. But yeah. thank you yeah. thank you for pointing that out. I love that. Well, it's funny. We you know we, we brought my in-house 7.3 and my 6-liter in, and then, and then that LBZ we brought into dyno. And it's funny to see the LBZ and the 6-liter dyno graphs mimicked each other in shape almost identically and the where the horsepower starts low and climbs up and the torque kind of climbs and then slowly drops off the 73 uh, the horsepower was almost flatlined all the way across <laughs> and the torque does nothing but drop in a completely straight linear line down uh, as the horsepower stays the same so and, and and that's it and and I think that brings a good point or a good point to transition here is talking about six O's um the stain on Ford's reputation. <laughs> I, I mean, for for a company that had always done very well in the diesel market, to put the 6.0 out, it, it's tough to look at from the outside. It's tough to come in and be a new truck owner and try to decide what am I going to buy. So many guys get into one of these 6.0s that, oh, it just smokes a little at idle, so I bought it on the cheap, and I'm going to be ahead of the game. And you it's do a lot of Ford say, work. Yeah, you do hard. a lot of Ford work. How does that go usually? Well, it's it's interesting. I have a lot of construction contractor customers and a lot of landscape contractors, and they need a reliable truck to pull trailers uh, and, and to start every day and get their crews to the job site. Uh, I've actually sent a couple of customers down to Texas to buy six liters. The reason being we cannot we're having a hard time finding seven threes that that where the bodies aren't rotted out of them or uh, every single one that i've had has major you know rear end work it needs transmissions the oil pans rotted out they're just neglected trucks so it's what do you want to do do you want to buy an older seven three and put ten fifteen thousand dollars to get it up into a reliable daily truck or do you buy something that's got a good body on it and that's got a good drivetrain in it and you put a little money into the engine now, I personally bought and built a six-liter for two reasons. One, they're a ton of fun to drive, <laughs> uh, and they have a unique sound that everybody loves. Uh, especially, you put that older turbocharger on it. You know, you're not you're not breaking dynos, but it's it is a fun truck to drive on a daily basis. Um, but I bought it also to prove to customers that you can have a six-liter and be reliable. Uh, it's easier for me to say because 
I own the shop and I work on it. So that makes it, uh, some people say, well, it, it doesn't cost you anything. Well, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. But the reality is you do the right updates to it and you treat it right. Uh, it's going to pay you back. It will never be the most reliable engine uh, that anybody has ever brought out. But you can get 150,000 miles without dumping 10 grand into it if you treat it right. The biggest thing people don't realize, the 6-liter also shares that hydraulic injection system, and it doesn't top out at 3,000 PSI. It tops out at 4,000 PSI. So they took an engine. They made it smaller cubic inch. They went from the 7.3 to the 6-liter, and they shrunk the cubic inch down. They added two valves per cylinder. They went up in injection pressure, and they wanted all that in a smaller package. If you compare the injector between a 7.3 and a 6-liter, Clearly, the 7.3 injector weighs and is about three times the size of the 6-liter injector. So we're asking the 6-liter unit to do a lot more in a lot smaller package. On top of it was kind of a rushed production engine because of emissions. Um, but that engine is very rough on oil. Uh, I tell customers this all the time, especially customers that are pulling trailers. That engine spends a lot of time with the injection pressures averaging around 2,000 PSI, and the oil is never really designed for that. Um, the key in a 6-liter, and really in a 7.3, but definitely in a 6-liter, is get good oil, synthetic oil, and change the oil often enough. I'm a huge believer in oil analysis. It gives you a good bill of health on the engine and the oil. If you want to know how long you can drive on your oil, do an oil analysis and see what it comes back with. Uh, you're not how gonna, often do you check it not to interrupt you there Tim, yeah. how often do you check it uh, on a vehicle we see on a regular basis i'll do an oil analysis i try to push it every other oil change uh, in the beginning we might do it every oil change till we get three or four samples together so we can do some trend analysis we can see average over these last four thousand or these last four oil changes the way they've run the vehicle we would say they're good for a 3500 mile oil change and that's one thing people don't understand you buy a, a Chevy or a Dodge or a common rail, you can get the oil to go 8,000 miles with synthetic oils. No problem. No problem at it all. It looks good when you drop it, actually. It, it does look good the, when you drop it. The filter's dirty, but, but yep. yeah, it looks good yep. when you drop it. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, the problem is you cannot, even on synthetic oil, these, these engines, you can't go that distance. And they t so it's an expensive maintaining oil system because you have four gallons and uh, you're, you're changing it on a much more regular basis. Okay. Okay. So you're definitely in there. So you're, you're doing a little bit more maintenance, but the idea being is that you, you, you bought a vehicle, let's be honest, is the cheapest when we're looking at them. If I look yep. at an O2 to an O2 to an O2 Dodge Ford, a, a Chevrolet here, there, there's no comparison. The 6.0 is almost always going to be cheaper. Yeah. I, I mean, if we're looking at similar models, you know, apples to apples, I, I can save a lot of money getting it. What the, the two questions I have here. One, so I'm doing maintenance more often. Do you have a specific brand that you're a fan of that works better than the others? There's something that, that a brand people should stay away from. What is it that they should avoid? As far as oil quality, yes. uh, I specifically use Schaefer's oils. They're a full synthetic line. Uh, I use them in pretty much everything. Uh, I have seen in the oil analysis reports, which I have had from Schaefer's and I've had from Blackstone and a couple others, and they all are very consistent. Uh, but the numbers have always come back the best from Schaefer's. Really? Yes. Now, what's in the oil analysis report? The oil analysis report gives you a couple of different things. One, it does a viscosity test to see is the oil still the viscosity it's supposed to be at the temperature that it's running at. The second is a base number, which is basically giving you a shear strength of the molecules of the oil. How 
strong are those molecules holding together? And in a 4,000 PSI oil system, that's an important number. The other thing is it's looking at additives that are in the oil. Are they still in the oil or have they been depleted? And then you're looking at contaminants. Do you have uh, uh, aluminum from pistonware? Do you have rings or bearings? All these things. It's it's like getting a, a blood sample from the doctor uh, to see how your health is. It's very similar in an engine. It's it's the best preventative maintenance tool you can use. <laughs> is, it, is it extremely expensive? Does it take a lot of time to get the feedback? We send out uh, probably about... 10 samples a week, and we usually have a response within a week. Uh, it's $22, I think, oh, for these nothing. oil samples. It's oh, not, that's easy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, what about modifications? What do I do to my 6.0 to make it reliable? Because uh, now are you saying just maintenance and, and good oil, I can leave it stock? If you want to. Who wants to leave it stuck? Uh, even even the the construction contractors in the, in the commercial business industry is interested in certain modifications to make things more reliable. The number one item in a diesel engine is, as we all see, EGR. Uh, the 6-liter was the first uh, EGR-equipped engine for Ford's line, and it is not the best EGR system. We're starting to see EGR systems become cleaner and more reliable now, but they're still not that great. We have two problems in the EGR system. We have, first, that we're putting small amounts of black soot back into the intake through the cooler, comes out of the exhaust, goes through the cooler. When it goes through the cooler, if there's any moisture in the air, which there always is, go out and check the humidity, uh, when it cools, it's going to condense. So now you've got little particles of black soot, you've got condensation, and then you pump it into the intake, which is also running a crankcase breather. So you're mixing oil, water, and carbon. And this is why we see so many turbocharger failures in the 6-liter, because it gums up the veins of the variable geometry and ultimately leads to head gasket failure, or at least premature head gasket failure in a stock engine where the boost pressure is higher than it's supposed to be, the back pressures are out of control, and the gasket's not strong enough from the factory to handle much safety margin. Okay. Okay. So, so we see that it start at the EGR, but it, it shows itself in a lot of other ways. And, and this is something that we commonly hear about six liters is head gaskets, yep. head gaskets and injectors. Um, everybody I know who has owned a, a six liter has done one of these two modifications out of necessity, not out of necessarily building the motor, which required anyways, if you're going to go up in any horsepower, to my understanding, a minimum is head studs and an EGR delete. It's not even worth tuning it unless you're going to do that. And, and that's basic stock transmission power levels. So it's really got to be about, like you said, finding that root problem because it, it, it is head gaskets, it is turbos, it is injectors. And I think that when you hear about all of these stories separately, it, it scares me away from that motor. It, ma it makes me say that's not something I would be interested in. But but you guys seem to have a plan. You guys seem to have a direct way to address it. So if I buy one and I'm looking at it has 60 to 100,000 miles, we'll just say, because I think that's a, a good range that I see a lot of trucks going up for sale in that, that mileage. What do I do first? Where do I start? The first thing you do is you eliminate the EGR. The second thing you do is in the process of eliminating the EGR, you pull the turbo, you split the turbo apart, and you clean it and make sure that the veins and the unison ring are all working properly. 50% of the time we pull a charger apart, we're replacing the unison ring because it's worn out. That's number one. Number two, as we already discussed, is maintain the oil system properly. Um, as far as head gaskets goes, that is the biggest 
misconception on the internet that you will read on six liters is that the head bolts are the fault of the engine design and it's not the head bolts the head bolts do not stretch and open up these cavities for compression <laughs> to find its way into the exhaust people say all the time i read it all the time i i lifted the heads on my six liter well let's think about it if you physically lifted the head off the engine even if it was a couple thousandths of an inch you'd have oil and water mixing and all over the engine right that's not the failure the failure is the gasket itself it is a five layer multi-layer steel gasket stainless steel and they're five equal layers and they're pretty thin layers now if you take a heat gun to a big piece of tin and heat it up what's it do I mean, it melts. It Well, it warps yeah. first. It warps, and it starts tin canning. This is the same concept of what happens with the multi-layer steel gasket in the 6-liter. The reason why it works in other engines and not the 6-liter is because the 6-liter has four bolts per cylinder, and they're spaced about 3.5 inches apart. If you compare, for example, a Duramax head bolt to a 6-liter head bolt, the 6-liter head bolt dwarfs it. But the Duramax doesn't need as big as a head bolt and doesn't have the space for that head bolt simply because it's got more bolts around the cylinder than, than the 6-liter does. The problem is when you have that gap of 3, 3.5 inches between your head bolts, as you increase pressures in the cylinder, whether you think it's happening or not, you're deforming the head in between those bolts. That's where we always see failures in the head gasket is usually on the outside of the head going into the water jacket between the two bolts. Really? Yeah. Okay. So the fix is not... Head studs. Head studs will clamp the head down a little bit harder and can usually give you about 10% more power reliably. But I know plenty of people that have put head studs and stock gaskets in, put a tune on it, and immediately pushed water past them. The really? key is the gasket itself. We use a gasket manufactured by Hypermax. It's a solid steel gasket that gets a coating of uh, uh, basically a gasket maker on both sides. But each cylinder gets an eighth-inch diameter steel wire compression ring that gets crushed between the head and the block. And that steel wire ring is responsible for holding the compression in the cylinder. Uh, and when you put head studs on with those gaskets, you run the risk of over-torquing and putting pinch points on the four corners of those compression rings. You can actually split the compression ring in the process. Okay. So if I buy our, our model truck here, uh, 2004, 6 liter, 60,000 miles, and I bring it to you, what am what am I looking at? What's a ballpark of what am I going to spend to now make it reliable? Well, it all depends on the condition that it comes in as. Uh, let's say it's perfect. It's been oil changed every 3,000 miles. It's garage kept. And by the way, I will say that makes a huge difference. When you have a truck that sits outside and goes through the temperature changes that we see here in the Midwest, and you have a truck that sits inside, uh, the inside of the engine it makes a huge difference. Um, so if you find one perfect scenario, it's running absolutely perfectly fine. It's making the right boost pressures, the right back pressures, the oil pressures are in check, it starts good, it doesn't smoke, it's perfect. You simply delete the EGR and make sure that, you know, we'll go through the turbo anyway. It usually costs about $1,000 in labor and parts to do all that. Uh, and then, you know, from there, what more do you want to do? If you plan on increasing power levels, you're going to be changing head gaskets. Okay. And then what's, what's my worst case? If I bring one in that's been sitting outside, I mean, am I talking 10 grand at the shop? Am I talking it's two grand easy. at the shop? To get to 10 grand is not hard. All you got to do is you got to have to have 
uh, a problem with the turbo, you're doing head gaskets, and you're doing injectors all at the same time, and it's pretty easy to get it up to about $8,000. Wow. In the process, what we're doing, whenever we get that far into an engine, uh, we're doing injector cups, which is what seals the coolant uh, in the heads from the injector. We're always changing those when we change injectors on a higher mileage engine. Uh, we're changing the uh, injector standpipes, which is the pathway that the high-pressure oil takes to get up to the head. Um, we're changing the high-pressure oil pump gaskets and seals, and we're also changing the oil cooler and all the seals associated with the oil cooler. There's a lot of preventative maintenance that goes into that as well when you're doing a job like that to make sure that you don't spend $6,000, and if you had spent another $1,000 in some of these preventative parts, uh, you'll get a lot more life out of it that way. That makes sense. Do it right the first time. Absolutely. I don't know how many times we talk about that in diesel performance. I don't know how many times everybody's done it. I've seen semi-turbos on 12 valves, and I've seen just all sorts of terrible ideas, zip ties and duct tape to solve everything. Um, sometimes you got to get home, and I get that, Yeah. Uh, but that's not a fix. That's, no. that's a Band-Aid to get home. Yep. Um, okay, so let's talk. So we start getting newer. Six O's. When did they stop making six O's? Last, liter, uh, last year for the six liter was 2007. 2007. So what did we get into for the 2008 for Ford? 2008, we got a couple of things. We got, a, in my opinion, a pretty hot rod engine, the 6.4 compound turbo from the factory, uh, but the dreaded introduction of the diesel particulate filter system. Um, that is the single biggest problem that we have experienced with the 6.4s on top of fuel quality. Being a common rail engine, it is now the first engine that Ford has had that is susceptible to poor fuel quality of running out of fuel. And uh, changing an injection pump on a 6.4 is costly because you're pulling the cab and the turbos off. Um, it's a great motor. We, uh, I like the power. I like the way they start. I like the, the quietness of them. Uh, without the emissions components getting in the way, it's a fantastic engine. So if you delete it and run it, how does it compare to its competitors? Well, uh, the power band is much more broad than its competitors. It builds boost very quickly. It has a very broad torque curve. Uh, the temperatures are usually, EGT temperatures are usually better than any of the competitors simply because it has uh, uh, two turbos. And the compound sure. effect just is incredible at keeping the temperatures down. Um, as far as in the same horsepower range, if you have a 6.4 against any of the other competitors, I think you're going to find that is the uh, best package uh, for drivability below a certain horsepower level. You can put a tune on it um, and drive it. You know, you get rid of the emissions, you put a tune on it, you can have it 550, 600 horse, and it's reliable, and it drives wonderfully. The trans shifts great. Um, when it gets into the higher power levels, then you start spending a lot of money. Then it's, you know whoever's preference as far as which one's better. Okay. How about failure points? What are we looking at for a 6.4? What would, obviously you had mentioned the DPF. A lot of, a lot of our listeners are going to delete a DPF and run it. Yep. That's yep. just the reality. No, it's not what I recommend, but it, but it is what it is, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, what, what's the next problem? What do I build next to get to the next step? Uh, is it turbos? Is it out of fuel? I, I got to imagine with a compound setup, it's got to have plenty of air. Uh, that's actually not true. <laughs> the 6.4 is pretty cool. You can make 700, 750 horse on stock fuel. I mean, you're running out of fuel at that point, but you are actually out of air before you're out of fuel. Uh, with a, When you start pushing the tune higher and higher on stock turbos, you start seeing the temperatures climb really quick. Um, it, it runs out of air before it runs out of fuel. Um, 
failure points that we see a lot are in the EGR system. Uh, EGR valves are clogging, they get stuck open, and especially with a DPF filter still installed, there's so much back pressure after the turbo that if the EGR valve is cracked open just a little bit, it'll force exhaust back into the motor and choke itself out. It's the whole path of least resistance. Right. Uh, and so we have a lot of issues with that. Cracking EGR coolers, we've had issues. Um, it is the first engine that Ford came out with that is no longer really easy to maintain. Everything is hard to get to. Uh, I, I commend them on most everything in the previously being labor times anyway, much better than the competition. Uh, the 6.4 really puts it on about the same level as a competition when it comes to labor times to try and get jobs done. Okay. And then now they've moved from the 6.4 now, is correct? That's correct. Yeah. Their latest engine is a 6.7 fully Ford designed in-house engine, which uh, so far I'm very impressed with. Uh, they made a lot of uh, pioneering changes to the engine and the way the exhaust comes out of the engine straight into the valley into the turbocharger uh, a lot of stuff geared toward efficiency they wanted to make sure they weren't going to be blowing head gaskets on these trucks so they really <laughs> beefed up the head design um, I, I am very impressed with that motor I have had a couple of them that we've tuned in house and and gotten the opportunity to drive and they uh, they're a, they're a great truck single turbo design or are they sticking with the compounds what they go with well it's kind of a mixture of the two they have one turbocharger unit it's got one turbine wheel one shaft but it has two compressor wheels mounted back to back on the same shaft so they're trying to get away from having two turbos put it in a smaller package but they are getting a pretty sizable amount of air into the engine um, if you're going to do a performance build, you're going to pull that off and you're going to put on a set of compounds or you're going to put a single turbo on. I don't think it's going to be a very viable setup for performance simply because there's not parts out there for it. Well, modifying that housing just sounds like a nightmare. And and I, I do ask that I can you know hear you explain it better, but I did get a chance to see a blown out and a cutaway view at yeah. uh, Rudy's. A couple of guys down there had some displays, new manifolds and piping yep. and setting yep. like that. And it was extremely impressive yeah um absolutely right the way that they're piping the the exhaust gas to to put heat where it should be yep. as opposed to underneath the engine and keep it all there um just some of their some of their designs the design on the turbo if you get a chance to go to any events or get on google and look at it the new six seven turbo is awesome it, it's an awesome design it's an awesome idea I haven't got to drive one, so I don't know how it compares to the Dodge or, or to the newer Duramaxes. I haven't really got that baseline on it, but I am really eager to get a get behind the seat of one and really just just beat the piss out of it. It's yeah. really my goal. I just I really want to feel what it's like at wide open throttle. Yeah, well, they're pretty impressive, and the nice thing is that trans is pretty stout too, so you can make as much power as the fuel system will allow stock, and that trans is going to handle it just fine. Perfect. All right. Well, Tim, I'll tell you what, that uh, that is definitely, I think, a good coverage of uh, Ford and Ford history and Ford performance here. I definitely appreciate your time. Uh, again, Tim Slater from Centurion Fleet Services of Hampshire, Illinois. Thank you. My pleasure. Be sure to check out the next episode of the Diesel Performance Podcast. That is episode three of my conversation with Mr. Chris Clanky, Aftermath Diesel down in Missouri. Now, his shop is located about 45 west of St. Louis, so uh, down in that area. Chris will also talk us through three generations of Cummins diesel engines. He's going to talk about pros, cons, likes, dislikes. His feelings may even come up. I don't know. <laughs> you never know with Chris. Either way, you definitely 
there's a lot of, again, a lot of knowledge just with all these guys we've been talking to. This has just been amazing. Chris is. He's another one. I've talked to Chris a bunch of times, and I'll tell you what. He, he's not only a riot, he's got a great sense of humor, but the amount of knowledge he has. Uh, he called me before doing the episode here with Scott, and he wanted to know if we should cover spray angles of injectors and how they've changed throughout the years. Like, that's that's the type of Cummins nerd he is. And, and, and we love that. We love to have Chris oh, yeah. on the show. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, as long as the injectors are working, in my opinion— that, that's really all that matters. Spray but angle's spray right angles, if it's running. It is. That's right. There you go. <laughs> um, and it, also one thing he talked about, too, is some more preventative things, things to kind of look out for uh, as a customer. You know, if you, if, you need, if you need help, you're outside your comfort zone. Usually your, what you depend on to get you to and from work is not something to test that out on. <laughs> you know, make sure, bring it to the professionals, just like with all things. If you're, you're working on these things, Cummins, really easy to work on. Typically, most guys that if they are hands-on DIYers, they go with the Cummins just because it's straight six. Turbo's right there. There's so much room. It's so much room. But, um, but a lot of times, guys tend to bite off a little more than they can chew. And that's where, you know, that's where guys like Chris come in. So, um, yeah, you know what? And I'll, I'm not going to put words in his mouth. I'll let him talk about that at the, on the next episode. Well, this has been Paul with the Diesel Performance Podcast. And Scott. Have a great time. We'll talk to you next time. Talk to you soon. Soon. Later. Real soon. The Diesel Performance Podcast is brought to you by Calibrated Power Solutions, home of DuramaxTuner.com, developer of performance engine and transmission calibrations for a wide variety of late model diesel powertrains including the Duramax, Cummins, John Deere, Jeep, and many more. For more information and the best customer service in the industry, check out calibratedpower.com or call 815-568-7920.